topic I'll be preaching on today is biblical singlehood, biblical singleness. It is quite a sensitive subject. Um, and we have preached, you know, at this church, we have preached before on the gift of marriage. We have preached on the importance of family. And we will preach those things again in the future. But for today, the topic that I want to hone in on is singleness. Now, over the years, especially during my 20s, I actually read a ton of books. Who here was raised in the Josh Harris, I Kiss Dating Goodbye generation? Yeah. Who here had like a promise ring at some point in your teens? That's right. Okay. So <laughs> that's right. Okay. So I see who's like in, in the same generation. Um, yeah. So I've read a ton of books on this subject. Um, a lot of them, and this is me being really frank, a lot of them, not that great. A lot of these books, not that great. Um, but recently, about maybe a, a year or two ago, a friend recommended this book titled Seven Myths About Singleness by Sam Alberry. Um, and actually this, you know, if you're single and if you're not single, I highly recommend this book. Um, it is written by a, a guy named Sam Alberry. He is an older single male pastor who not only draws from his personal experience, but also has a really robust theological discourses and scriptural references that make this probably the best book that so far I've read. Um, if, if I'm honest, a lot of the books I read was like 90% experience and kind of like just dealing with the emotional side of things, but pretty thin when it came to just scriptural references and pretty thin on theology. And so this is one of those books that I highly recommend. Whether you're single or not, I highly recommend this. Um, now, before I begin to lose you guys who are not single, so... <laughs> Before you begin to zone out and your eyes glaze over because you're on the marriage track or for whatever reason you feel like this doesn't really pertain to you, let me exhort you with this thought that is presented actually in this book. And I'll say this very carefully, okay? Firstly, even if you're married right now, chances are that you'll have to learn to be single again at a certain point in your life. It's not me, the Sam, so be mad at Sam, okay? So chances are, even if you're married right now, at a certain point in your life, you'll have to learn what it means to be single again. It's a pretty morbid and pretty negative thought uh, to, to have, but it's still a part of life, whether it be through the death of a spouse, which unfortunately it happens, whether it's a year after you met her or whether it's 50 years after you marry or an unexpected, and of course it's always unexpected, an unexpected divorce, most married people will find themselves single again at some point in their lives. And we're talking about statistics here. So if you think that just because you're married now, you've dodged the bullet, you'll never have to think about singleness ever again. Think again. This is part of life. We need to know not just what singleness looks like, but biblical singleness looks like. Now, secondly, even if you're married, you should care about what is being preached today because we are a body. What affects part of the body affects the whole. 
as a single, it matters to me tremendously that our married couples here have a healthy marriage. It matters to me that mothers don't feel lonely and isolated when raising their children. It matters to me that married people feel included and feel celebrated and feel supported. And in the same way, married people, it should matter to you whether singles in our congregation feel seen, valued, celebrated, reached out to, and included. The very real struggles, the very real misconceptions, the subconscious biases, they affect us all because we are a body. And when part of the body is sick, when part of the body is hurting, the whole body hurts. There's a lot that we can learn about what God specifically purposes for singleness. Now, I heard this joke recently, you know, about first-generation Asian parents. Who has a first-gen Asian parent? First-generation, like me and like Korean-Korean, kind of. Yes? Yes. Yes. Uh, Have you guys experienced this? Like, all, all the way through middle school, high school, sometimes even college, it's like, no dating. No dating, just studying. And then when you reach like mid-20s, late-20s, they're like, why are you single? You know, like really mystified. How could that have happened? So many of us have had that experience. And that's kind of part part of, you know, being raised in an Asian home. I feel like that's uh, what a lot of us experience. Uh, but that is not the approach that the Bible has to singleness, to dating, to courtship, and to marriage. And so I encourage us to open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. If you have a physical Bible with you, I encourage you to open it up uh, physically. If not, I have some slides for you that you can follow along with. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And we'll read verses 6 through 9. And then we're going to skip down to verse 32. So this is in the middle of a discourse where Apostle Paul is talking about sexual purity. What it looks like to be a believer when previously they weren't a congregation. And previously they weren't believers. What it looks like to follow Jesus as a congregation and as singles and married people. And this is a very practical section in the Bible that talks about singleness in particular. And so starting with verse 6 to 9, I'm going to be reading from the ESV. It reads this way. Now, as a concession, not a command. One more time. This is very important. Now, as a concession and not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I am. Single. He is single. I wish that all were as I am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. So some have the gift of singleness. Some have the gift of marriage to the unmarried and the widows. I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. We're not going to go into burning with passion today. You can breathe a sigh of relief. We're not going to talk about that today in depth. Uh, Now we're going to skip down to verse 32. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. 
And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the betrothed, meaning uh, virgin still. Uh, woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Make sure that make sure that you're not getting the wrong idea from this passage that we just read. We're going to continue on to verse 36. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly towards his betrothed, if his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. Yet, in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is, and I think that I too have the Spirit of God. Amen. This is Apostle Paul giving very sound biblical and practical advice to this community regarding what it means both to be married and also what it looks like to be single. Now, full disclosure, okay, full disclosure, just so that you understand where my bias comes from, because I'm not unbiased in the matter. I am a single female pastor, right? Of a certain age. And I feel like, especially as I get older regarding my singleness, it has mostly been viewed as a negative thing by people around me. Mostly negative, not always, but mostly negative. I hear very well-meaning comments all too often saying, why are you still single? Are you sure you're trying? You know, Maybe you're too picky, right? I hear that a lot. Or the very well-meaning but often patronizing, I'll be praying for you, you know? I'm like, I didn't ask for that prayer, but thanks, you know? I'll get whatever prayer, you know, I can get, but I didn't ask for that. Um, There have been times when my pastoral advice regarding relationships was dismissed because, well, you're single, you know? How would you know, Right? Or my views on family are diminished somehow because I don't have a family of my own. Now, no one likes to be patronized or underestimated, and I'm no exception. And sometimes I get a sense that people would talk to me as if I were a 22-year-old right out of college, still single woman, instead of a 37-year-old pastor who has been in full-time ministry for over a decade. I wonder, it makes me wonder, did Paul ever get those comments? Like, hey, Paul, come here. You know, I noticed that you're single. You know, I'm praying for you. I know this other person. Would you like to get, you know, would you like to get introduced? Or, hey, Paul, like, I like 1 Corinthians 7 and all, but you're single. You know, like, why, sh- why are you talking, giving advice to married couples? Isn't that for married people to do? I wonder if Apostle Paul ever got that. I wonder if Jesus ever got that. If I ever get to heaven, that's the first question I'm going to ask Jesus. I'm going to be like, Jesus, 
Did Mary ever pressure you into getting married? You're a 33-year-old single Jewish man. That's very rare, right? You know, you're a single Jewish man that died as a single. I'm very curious. Did Mary ever like, hey, Jesus, you're already 25. That's ancient in our times. Like, you better, like, get going. I know a lot of really nice girls. Would you like to get introduced? I wonder if Jesus ever dealt with this as well. Now I know, obviously, you know, I know these are innocent, caring, well-meaning comments, but if as a single you hear this on such a regular basis by people who probably don't know you very well as well, it's hard not to walk away with a feeling that you must be deficient in some way. Like you just aren't enough. Like I wish there was, you know, something to make you whole. Like if only this disease or this curse called singleness would lift off, life would be so much better and you would understand true happiness. And that is a very uh, subconscious and very subtle sentiment, especially nowadays, especially nowadays. There's so much that culture and tradition and entertainment have to say about singleness. So much that well-meaning friends and relatives have to say about it. I've been hearing, why aren't you married for at least 15 years now, right? Why aren't you married or why aren't you dating? Um, I've been hearing for a very, very long time in various levels of urgency. And trust me, as a single, I've heard it all. But before we get to what God intended singleness to be, we need to start by dismantling two views of singleness that are actually unbiblical. And so what are the two unbiblical ways of viewing singleness? The first is that singleness is inherently bad. That it's a curse. That, oh man, I'll be really praying for you for breakthrough there. That is inherently bad. Now, I grew up in the golden age of the 90s and 2000s chick flicks. Who else here grew up in that time, right? Right? Now, even the guys, you guys are not saying anything right now. But when pressed, more than a few guys have admitted to me, confessed to me, that movies like Serendipity... Movies like 10 Things I Hate About You, movies like Notting Hill or Hitch or whatnot, that these are movies that we actually enjoy. And we were raised watching these movies. Are there any, are, are there any favorite movies here? Any favorite? Now um, everybody's embarrassed to speak up. Mean Girls. <laughs> I guess that's a chick flick too. Walk to, walk to remember. So, like, an entire generation was traumatized by that movie, right? It's like the Korean drama of American chick flicks, right? Yes, it's like the sob story of our generation. Any other ones? Pride and Prejudice? A chick flicky, yes, yes, but based on a book, right? <laughs> yes, yeah, so these are all movies that actually shaped the way that we think about romance. Um, the, the author Sam uh, Alberg, he says, uh, Alberry says, many of our default settings see singleness in terms of deficiency. It is the absence of a good thing. Marriage, the romantic and sexual fulfillment of marriage seems to represent. So single people are seen as unmarried, while we would never think of married people as unsingle. Right? I get asked all the time, why aren't you married? I don't go to married person like, hey, why are you, why aren't you single? Like, I'll pray for you. You know, <laughs> that'd be very wrong, right? No, no. So, 
So we tend to think of single people as missing something. They're deficient in the way that we even approach this. While we would never think of a married person as unsingle. It is singleness that seems to be wanting and deficient. And so some pastors and authors with good intent, but often poor word choice, will say something like, you know, people these days that are refusing to get married and they're just selfishly living their lives. They are, you know, uh, they are averse to commitment. I wish they would just settle down and I wish they would learn what it means to be a responsible adult. I wish, you know, I wish, I wish Um, they're the problem. They live in perpetual adolescence, perpetual avoidance of commitment, perpetual self-absorbedness and selfishness. Some pastors and authors, often with good intent, but poor word choice, will say something like that. But this is what uh, Sam Albury says. The underlying problem is not with singleness, but with selfishness. The issue is what singleness is being used for or what you assume it's being used for. So let me put it this way. If the problem is selfishness, Whether you're single or you're married, you can be doing it for selfish reasons. Well, I got an amen. Yes. You can remain single for all the wrong reasons, just like you can marry for all the wrong reasons. If it's ultimately selfishness, then that's the problem. Because the Christian life, whether as a single or as a married person, is a call to lay down your life, to serve one another, to not live out of selfish ambition, but in selflessness, in service, in sacrifice, and in love. So when we paint singleness in a very particular light, as it is inherently bad, these are people that are running away from commitment and responsibility. It is all too simplistic and doesn't address the root issues. In the same way that you could say, hey, somebody got married simply because they don't want to be alone. There's nothing in them that wants to serve the other person, nothing in them that wants to learn to love and be sacrificial towards another person. In the same way, you could have problems with selfishness in both a singleness, uh, in both singleness or also in married life. So that's one unbiblical way of viewing singleness, that it's inherently bad, that it's a problem, that what's happening with the youth these days that are not getting married, it's not inherently bad if it's done with the right motives. Second, the other misconception is that singleness is inherently good, right? There's a growing cultural trend of Marriage and children is just a ball and chain and, you know, singleness is just unattached and free and, you know, not like without responsibilities and it's commitment free and it's adventurous and you see these couples on Instagram and that's what I want to be like and that's the kind of life that I want to live and marriage is seen as like, oh, costly and full of responsibilities and it's cumbersome and the question is asked, why commit? When you can just have fun together and then part ways. The question is asked, why settle when I just need to find myself or I just need to find happiness? And in some circles, it's becoming increasingly popular to say in a very defiant tone, who needs a man, right? Right? You hear that a lot. You know, I understand. Yes, we're not going to get too deep into that. But when it's said that way and in that tone... 
the, the, my instinct says it has less to do with God-given dignity and value and independence, and it has more to do with fear of disappointment and past hurt and all of that, right? Right, yes, yes, preach, yes. So it's becoming increasingly popular in our culture to see singleness as this is like the golden ticket to a free life. You can do whatever you want. You can spend your money however you like. You can travel whenever you want. You can just pick up and go whenever you want. And it's seen as this golden ticket into eternal freedom in this life. Now, two things that we need to rectify about this view. First of all, Paul in 1 Corinthians does concede that singleness has has its advantages But he doesn't say it's freedom to live for yourself, YOLO. He says it's freedom to love and serve God. That's the freedom that you have as a single person. Singleness, according to Paul, isn't for you to live for yourself. And as a single myself, I need to ask myself this question. Am I leveraging my singleness to truly live for God and serve others? Or am I doing it just to be selfish? I need to be asking that question. Secondly, and this is a big deal, very important in our definition of singleness. Paul isn't defining singleness as the world does. Because the world defines singleness as uncommitted yet sexually active. Right? That's That's what it means to be single in the world. Right? Whereas Paul defines it as focus on God and sexually pure. It's a very different definition. Like in today's language, singleness doesn't completely capture it. Because in our culture, singleness just means uh, unmarried. It doesn't mean actually sexually pure. That's not... We need to like dig back into old-fashioned words like celibate or chaste, right? These words, I feel like, you know, like, like I'm a nun, you know, like, and that's where those words belong, like somewhere back in the dark ages. And, you know, but that's the way that Paul is actually defining singleness, focused on God and sexually pure. So in our day and age, as culture becomes more and more secularized as the institution of both godly marriage and godly singleness are both seen as unrealistic or unattainable or uncommon or too difficult, we must anchor ourselves on what the Bible unapologetically says is true and is good. So we need to begin to redefine these terms in our minds. So what does it mean then to be biblically single? It brings us to the question, you know, if the Bible doesn't define singleness as inherently good nor inherently bad, what does it look like to be a single according to God's plan and God's purpose? The first thing that we need to make sure that we're all on the same page with is a single is a whole person. They are a whole, complete person. This must be said Because of the often subconscious mentality from rom-coms like Jerry Maguire, you complete me, right? No, he does not. He does not complete you. You are a whole person in Christ. This message of 
We are incomplete until we find, we find our other half. We are incomplete until we find that romantic partner. This message is so repeatedly and so relentlessly preached in every breakup song, every romantic movie, every Valentine's Day card. We begin to internalize it. But that is not the Christian faith. The Christian faith says that a single is a whole person. And it also defines marriage as one whole person coming together with another whole person to become one. It doesn't make sense mathematically, but it makes sense biblically. One plus one equals one. That is the biblical definition of marriage. It doesn't mean 0.5 of a person plus 0.5 of a person equals finally now you're complete in marriage. That's not the way that the Bible defines singleness and it's not the way that defines marriage. So we need to make sure that we say this. A single person is a whole person, is a complete person. Marriage isn't when a half person and another half person come together to make a whole. It is when one whole person and another whole person come together to make a whole. Anybody who's married or anybody who's dated before, you will know the perils of someone wanting you to complete them. You know, that is toxic in a relationship and that is a promise that you cannot deliver on. All the wives and husbands said amen to that. There's no way you can deliver on that promise. Only Christ can make you whole. Now, can I say something very unpopular? Okay, I'm going to say something very unpopular. All right, you ready for this? You can be a whole person. You can be a complete person without romantic fulfillment or sexual experience. You can be a whole person complete person without romantic fulfillment or sexual experience. Yes, I know it's not popular to say, and I know it's very difficult to actually live out and to walk out and to believe. But historically, if we look at the saints that have gone before us and biblically, if we look at very blatant examples like Paul himself or like Jesus himself, We cannot argue this point. A single person is a whole person. Jesus, as someone who wasn't just single, but, you know, according to some of other terms, chaste, right? Celibate. Jesus was not calling others, singles, to a standard he was not willing to embrace himself first. He isn't calling singles to sexual abstinence, While knowing nothing of it himself, he lived this very teaching. Sam Albury says, but there's even more than that. Jesus is not just an example of a non-hypocritical teacher. He's an example of the perfect man. He is the humanity all of us are called to be, but which none of us are. He is the most complete and the most fully human person who ever lived. So his not being married is not incidental. It shows us that none of these things, marriage, romantic fulfillment, sexual experience, is intrinsic to being a full human being. The moment we say otherwise, the moment we claim a life of celibacy to be dehumanizing, like it's less than the full experience of a human, we are implying that Jesus himself is only subhuman. So we need to make sure that this is the place where we begin. If we begin to see 
unmarried single people as, man, I just wish your life would become complete. We're saying something very profound about the way that we view Jesus, Paul, and any of the other saints that have gone before us who have chosen this road. So a single is a whole person, a whole human being. Now, going back to the passage in 1 Corinthians 7, uh, the Apostle Paul is very clear that there are certain, very specific advantages that single people are gifted with. A single is gifted with certain opportunities to serve others. And he makes it very clear. He's not trying to make a, a value statement about, well, now singles, now this is our time to shine and all married people, man, you can't love the Lord. He's not saying that. He's saying, practically speaking, there's ways in which someone who's single is able to serve others in ways that maybe married people are not. He's not saying one is worth more than the other. He's saying, practically speaking, there's certain opportunities that single people are gifted to serve others. In second Corinthians, uh, in first Corinthians chapter seven, verse 28, he very clearly says a married man and married woman, they have something that he says is called divided interests. And that's the way it should be. If Pastor JP here, who's recently married, if he's living his life still as a single and serving God still as a single, I, I would have problems with it. Yes. And Pauline definitely would have problems with that. Right. He, that should not be that is out of order for someone who is married. He is called to serve God and love others as a married person. So it is good for him to have divided interests. He should not be serving God. He should not be serving others in the way that he did as a single man. And that is God intended in the context of marriage. It's not out of order. It's not sinful. And it's not that Paul is putting down marriage. He's just being realistic. When he says worldly troubles, it's not worldly and fleshly, like in, in, a, in a negative way. He's saying, actually, the worries of this life, the things that you should be taking care of as a husband, the things that you should be taking care of as a father, those things are a part of your life now. And you serving God is going to look a very particular way when you are married. It's not ungodly. There is a duty a husband has to a wife. There's a duty that a wife has to her husband or that a parent has to their children. So I've been doing some reflecting on my journey in the faith. And if I were to look back, I know for sure that there have been some times in my life when 1 Corinthians 7 was very true in my life where I was able to serve others freely and sacrificially, not despite being single, but because I was single. There's certain opportunities that were open and available to me because I was single. There have been moments where I can drop everything and go to the aid of someone who needs help or comfort. There's a flexibility and an availability that I take for granted very often. That the, And these things are a gift to me in the single... It, in the season, because I'm single. If I were to think back even specifically, specifically, for example, three years ago, when our community was going through a very, very difficult time, and this is not me trying to pat myself in the back or you know, give myself cookies or something, I can very humbly say that if I had had children at that time, I wouldn't have been able to have 1 a.m. board meetings to deal with crisis. 
I would not have been able to drive out of town to meet with families that were feeling isolated. I would not have been able to fly to Sydney and Melbourne and L.A. to help with hurting community uh, at the wake of a tragedy. I wouldn't have been able to stay up all night answering emails or stay up all day counseling people. This was a grace and a gift that was given to me for the sake of the body. If I had children... It would be irresponsible for me to do that. Like drop it and be like, bye, I'm going to Sydney. That would be, somebody would have to confront me about that. But because I was single, there were very specific opportunities that I did have to serve the body. And so I know for sure, even in my own experience, that there's certain opportunities that I have as a single person to serve others that may or may not be there if I wasn't single. And so in the same way, this is my exhortation for those who are single Don't take this time for granted. It is fleeting. It is temporary. This time that you're able to serve others with the liberty, the access, the flexibility that you have right now. So don't take it for granted. It is a precious gift to God and it's a precious gift to the body. Doesn't mean that married people are exempt. They're like, woof, I don't need to serve because I'm married. That's not what it means. It simply means, hey, if you're single, don't take that for granted. Any married couple will tell you it's so much harder to make plans once you're married because you have to ask for permission. You know, it's so much more difficult to, you know, go out of your, go out of your way to do things or even manage your own schedule with liberty when you're married, because you're no longer just your own. You belong to someone else and they also belong to you. You're part of one. And so there's certain liberties that you have that you take for granted as a single person, and you cannot take those things for granted. A single is gifted with certain opportunities to serve others. And it's a gift to God and a gift to the body. Now, lastly, a single is gifted with certain opportunities to love God. Someone said, If marriage is an illustration of the sacrifice of Christ, so husbands love your wife like Christ loved the church, if marriage is supposed to be an illustration of what Christ's sacrifice was, then singleness is an illustration not of the sacrifice of Christ, but the sufficiency of Christ. Christ is enough for you. It doesn't always feel that way. It doesn't, you don't always feel like that on a daily basis, but you have a very particular message to give the body and to give the world. And that is that Christ is sufficient. Even if you have desires within you to get married and those are God given desires. That is not something that we want to stigmatize. That is not something that we want to downplay. But as a single, you're given a very unique opportunity to show the body, to show yourself, to show the rest of the world that Christ is sufficient. He is enough. What it looked like to love Jesus when I was single in my 20s, it looks very different to what it looks like to love Jesus now that I'm in my 30s. It's very different. The sacrifice and the love that I have to give to God is different as well. I'm not going to downplay the difficulties of singleness, just like I wouldn't downplay the difficulties of marriage or raising a family. Learning to embrace singleness, whether it's temporary or whether it's long-term, it's not easy. But I've been blessed by friends who celebrate and encourage me, regardless of whether I'm married or not, and especially 
by married friends who go out of their way to make sure that I don't feel lesser than. I know that it's a journey that requires the help of the Holy Spirit. It requires dependency on the Holy Spirit. Living life as a single, again, is not all roses and unicorns and rainbows. It's not that. It's also very difficult. So I cannot downplay the difficulty of it. But there is help from the Holy Spirit to aid us in those areas of weakness, in those moments of loneliness, in those moments where we feel, man, how much longer? We have the help of the Holy Spirit, and we need the support of a community of faith. We need one another in this way. Singles, you need married people. Married people, you need singles. This is what it means to be a body. This is what it means to support one another, be there for one another, regardless of what life stage you are in. And it is in that place that we can spur one another to greater love for Christ, to greater service to the body in ways that really build us up, in ways that are life-giving, in ways that make even singleness as difficult as it might be at times. It makes it a blessing. We need one another. There's certain opportunities that you'll have as a single to love God. What it looks like for me right now, it looks like laying down some things in order to serve the body and to serve him and to love them with everything that I have. Not with bitterness in the back of my mind, not with, man, like everybody else is, you know, like, come on, God, you know, don't, you know, without that, where I'm able to actually freely say right now, This life that I'm living right now, it brings glory to God. And he is so delighted and so pleased by that. This is an offering that I get to give to him because I'm single. In the same way that someone who's married is able to give to him only because you're married as well. And so a single is gifted with certain opportunities to love God. Don't wait for things to change for you before you're like, man, I love you, God. If only my life would begin to work out, you know, like I'll begin to serve, but only once things get moving in my life, we cannot hold hostage those things until we feel like we have what we need to be complete. Christ is enough. Christ is enough in those moments where you feel unseen. Christ is enough. This is a a bit of a, you know, personal anecdote. I remember about, it's been now 12 years, about 12 years ago, I was serving as a pastor at a different church. And I've explained this, uh, you know, not in detail, uh, but our church went through some really, really traumatic things, like really, really, really traumatic things for our church. Our entire church was breaking apart. Um, And I happened to be in the middle of all that. I was still a seminary student. I was serving as a college pastor. And... Um, long story short, um, I ended up being on the receiving end of a lot of the crisis that needed to be managed. Um, as someone who was kind of second in command and something happened with the person first in command. And so a lot of these things fell on my plate and it was, I kid you not, probably the most difficult two and a half years of my entire life where if I didn't pray to God in the morning, like I wouldn't make it through the day. Like that's the kind of grace that I needed. 
I knew that I would fall apart, that I would not have what it takes unless God helped me supernaturally. And it was during this time that I confided with, you know, a, a professor. And, you know, the seminary that I went to, um, it didn't believe in women ministers. So putting that there, you know, uh, my professor, you know, was very compassionate, you know, and he was, uh, you know, really great at listening. And he said, look, you know, my stance on like women in ministry and all of that, but that aside, you know, if I saw what's happening to you right now, happening to my wife, if, you know, the, the trauma that you're going through, the crisis that you're going through, the conversations that you're having, if all of that happened to my wife, there's nothing I wouldn't do as a husband to try to protect her from it. I just wish you had that person that would fight for you in that way. I wish you had a husband that would take the hit for you in that way. And it's, it's sad to see you trying to navigate this on your own. And so after that conversation, you know, I kind of left like, thanks, man. You know, that doesn't really help me. No, no, no. No, no, I didn't say thanks, man. I was very broken that time. And I was like, you know what? Yeah. Why wouldn't anybody take a hit for me? You know, why would some, you know? And I kind of got a bit angry in a good way. And so I took this to the, to the place of prayer. And I said, yeah, God, you call me to ministry. You take responsibility for this mess. You know, like, you, you know, you call me to this ministry. You haven't given me a husband, so pay up. You know, <laughs> like, like take, take him to, right, in Korean, just take him to, take responsibility for this mess. What are you going to do about this, right? And I kind of shove it back to God. And it's very interesting during that time of prayer. And this is kind of what my prayer often looks like. I'm very dramatic with the Lord. Um, you know, I'm like, so where, where's a person who's going to take a hit for me? And I felt like during that time of prayer, how God answered is I'll be that person for you. I'll protect you in ways that not even uh, an earthly husband could do for you. I'll be there for you. I'll be there in the unseen moments in those times when you feel very alone I'll be there for you. That's my promise to you. And he held up his part of the bargain. He really has. I'm not trying to sugarcoat it. I'm not saying it's easy, but he held up his part of the bargain. He has been so good to me. He has been so gracious to me. There's so many things that I went through during those two and a half years that I shouldn't have made it out. I shouldn't have made it out even with like a shred of faith, right? Let alone continue in ministry. I shouldn't have made it out. And he was so good to me. And he satisfied me in ways that I know, even if I were to get married in the future, my husband would not be able to do those things in that level, to that extent. God came through for me as I allowed him to take that place in my life. And that sacrifice that I gave to him during those two and a half years, they were so pleasing to him. That was something that I was able to give to him because I was single. And because I invited him in, God, I don't have a husband. Would you take that place? Would you be my support? Would I, can I lean on you? Can you be trusted? Will you be there when I need you? And God said yes every time. And he's been there for me. Even me being here is a testament to that. He's been so tremendously good. Not just in a spiritual, you know, abstract kind of way. In very real ways in my life. He has been so, so good to me. Now, as I invite up the praise team to come back up as we close in prayer, this is my exhortation to us as a church community. New Philly, can we, as a church, call one another to a higher vision 
of what singleness could be. To not settle for anything less. To not settle for, oh, this is just a waiting game until the right person comes along. Or this is a purgatory, right? An agonizing limbo that you're desperately waiting to be rescued out of. Can we call one another to higher vision of what singleness is supposed to be in Christ? Can we encourage one another to step into that direction? Because singleness is not supposed to be a time when you are incomplete. You're supposed to be complete in Christ. At the same time, singleness is not a free pass to be as self-absorbed or as selfish or hide in fear of intimacy or fear of commitment. Singleness can be God-glorifying and soul-satisfying, whether it's just for a few years or for life. And we set the bar too low and settle for too little if we don't grasp this as a community. Our call to follow Christ, regardless of circumstances, regardless of where he leads us, is for us to lay down our lives and know that he is sufficient for us. Whether we're single or whether we're married, may our lives be for the glory of God for the pleasure of God. That is my desire for this community. My heart breaks when I hear, you know, different people going through such a difficult time with singleness. And I have those moments too. I'm not going to downplay that. But if we're just waiting for things to change and for our life to begin somehow, I believe that we're missing out on something so precious that we're able to give to God and we're able to give to one another as a community.